So if you would, uh, stand with me as we read God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 15. This also includes our, our memory verse verses for the month in verses 15 and 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Verse 16, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You may be seated. Let me pray for us as we begin our time together. Heavenly Father, we first of all this morning pray for the fathers in our church. We pray for these men who have been trusted with the awesome responsibility of spiritual care and physical provision for their children. We pray for fathers of of young children, that you'd give them your grace to be faithful, instilling in their, their kids, their sons and daughters, the, the truths, the eternal truths concerning your son Jesus and about their relationship to you, and about their right response to you as a heavenly father. We pray for dads of, of older children, even children who have left the home, that you would con- continue to give them the strength to be spiritual shepherds to their family. I pray for uh, dads who are struggling. We pray for children who are struggling in their relationships with their dad. We pray for special grace for them. And we pray for those for whom today may be a a painful day as as they think about uh, disappointment in the relationship with their fathers. And I pray that you cause them to turn their hearts toward you as the perfect Heavenly Father, and you give them special grace this morning. We pray for our time as we open your word together cause our hearts to be very sensitive to the leading of your spirit. I pray that you'd help me to be very clear in my communication of your words. I pray that you would help us through your spirit to apply it in our lives as well. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago at Bethany Baptist Church, my wife Whitney was involved in the Mothers of Preschoolers ministry, and she would come every Friday and, and help out with that ministry. When she would do so, she'd, of course, bring our children, and and Hannah would come in on Friday mornings and come into the office, and her her priorities were good. She'd first come into my office and give me a a big hug and tell me what a wonderful father I was. My memory might be a little fuzzy, but that's generally what would happen. And then Hannah would go into the church office, and she would ask the uh, secretaries, the people that were involved in, in other ministries of the church, if they needed any help. And generally, what she would be involved in was preparing the bulletins for Sunday morning. And there was a, a somewhat older saint in our church, Elsie uh, Ewers, who was involved in taking the handouts for Sunday morning and, and stuffing in them the bulletins. And Hannah and Elsie would spend Friday mornings stuffing the bulletins for Sunday mornings. And it, a neat little relationship developed between Hannah and Elsie Ewers. Elsie would, would care for Hannah. She'd bake her cookies. She just, just thought Hannah was just the most wonderful little girl in the world, and Hannah enjoyed the attention, of course. And I was just very grateful for Elsie Ewers' investment in my daughter's life on Friday mornings. Hannah looked forward to, to Friday mornings almost like no other day of the week. 
you'd think we were just giving her candy or something on Friday. And actually, we were sometimes, uh, or Elsie was sometimes on, on, on Friday morning. A great relationship. And after we left Bethany Baptist Church and planted the church, every time I came back to Bethany Baptist at, at some uh, function and Elsie was there, she would ask me, how's Hannah doing? How's my Hannah? And continued to, to think about Hannah often. On May 24th, I went to Bethany Baptist Church, and Pastor Rich, as you know, came here, and I had the opportunity to, to preach there on Sunday morning. And after first service, Elsie was one of the first people to come up and greet me. And really, when I say greet me, what she was really asking is, where's Hannah? She goes, where's Hannah? I want to say hello to Hannah. I said, well, you know, I'm sorry, Elsie. She's, she's come a little bit later. I think she'll be here after second service. So, so come here after Sunday school, and, and Hannah will be in here. And after second service, there's Elsie right at the, 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 the bottom of the stage. I come off. She goes, where's Hannah? I said, oh, Elsie, okay, I, what happened? I talked to Whitney. Hannah's going to children's church, and and, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, and, and I could just see Elsie's countenance kind of fall a little bit. I said, it, it's okay, though. Kind of looked at my watch. I said, okay, we're going to brave Bethany Baptist hallway, all right? Uh, as those of you who have been to Bethany Baptist on a Sunday morning know that it is a very dangerous place. And so we, uh, we, we said, all right, I'm, we're going to go down to Children's Church. It's the lower level. We can do this. And so Elsie and I bravely made our way through the hallways of Bethany Baptist Church, stopping every so often to talk to people. And we finally made it down to Children's Church, and Elsie was able to give Hannah just this, this great big hug, and Hannah was able to hug her back. And then Elsie went off, and, and Hannah went to her Children's Church. Three days later, Elsie Ewers passed away. And I was so grateful to God, first of all, that she had been wise in the time that she had to spend it with a little girl. I was so grateful to Elsie for her investment in my daughter's life. And then I, I was also so grateful that on that Sunday morning, she used her time wisely as well and was investing it still in my daughter. It would have been easy to say, you know what, that's okay, Daniel. Next time you guys are here, I'll, I'll see Hannah. But she had her priorities right, and she invested her time in going down and making sure she got that one last hug with Hannah. She was in, as far as I know, just, just there was no imminent danger to Elsie on Sunday morning. She had no idea that she would pass away so quickly. I say this because so often you and I are foolish in our time with one another. Each of us has a limited amount of time with other people, and so often we take this time that God has graciously provided us, this time that God has, has graciously entrusted us with, we take that time and we squander it. We're foolish with that time that God has given us. We're like the proverbial drunken sailor, foolishly squandering the time that God has given us to invest in our relationships with other people believers. Paul is going to continue to talk about relationships here in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and the first part of Ephesians chapter 6. You know, husbands and wives, husbands and wives, God has graciously given us time with one another. We could be taking this time that God has graciously provided us with and investing it in, in building oneness in our marriage. We could be taking this time that God has provided us 
provided us with. And, and as husbands, we could be investing in the, the spiritual nourishment of our wives and, and getting to know them and, and care for them. And, and wives, we could, uh, we could be involved in, in getting to know our husbands and, and caring for them and ministering to them. But instead, we're squandering the time off that God has given us. We're taking that time and, and investing it in, in squabbles and, and, and in bickering and in nursing petty wrongs or, or even investing in, in things away from our, our family and our spouse, and we're squandering, foolishly spending that time that God has given us. You know, dads, it's Father's Day, and we're going to be talking in a few weeks about the relationship between a, a father, parents, and, and their children, and the text actually explicitly mentions dads. Dads, we've been given this time by God, to invest in our relationships with our children. We have a finite amount of time to invest in instilling in our children the truths of God. We have the opportunity right now to take, uh, to take our, our time and invest it in teaching our children things that will not only impact them now, but impact them on into eternity. And yet, what do we do with that resource of time that God has entrusted to us? Sometimes we squander it foolishly. We spend our time, first of all, sometimes just away from our children, not using that time, investing in them. And, and sometimes when we are with our children, we're teaching them about things and priorities that have nothing to do with the priorities and the things that God would have us to be passionate about. Our relationships with other believers, we have the opportunity to be investing in, in people who, who need friends and, and need relationship and need encouragement. But oftentimes, we squander the time that God has graciously provided by being involved in arguments with one another. We're investing ourselves in relationships that don't have a, a spiritual focus of, of any, any sort whatsoever. God has given us opportunities to invest in one another's lives. And often, we are foolish investors with that time. I want us, as we think about this text, to, to be encouraged because Scripture tells us that the, the wise believer is going to be a person who uses that time that God has given them wisely. <laughs> We're going to see as we look at this, this passage in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21, we're going to see that there are, there's a problem that's presented, and then we're also going to look at a, a solution that's presented. And as we go through this, this text, what I want to do first is look at the problem that's presented to us in the first part of this, these verses, verses 15 and 16, and then I want to look at the solution that God provides in verses uh, 17 through 21. Now, before we do that, or as we do that, let's, let's first look at, at the problem that's presented in verses 15 and 16. Here's what Paul says. He gives an instruction, and as we read this instruction, we'll see that there's a problem inherent in the instruction that's given to us. He says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. And so the instruction there is, as you're walking, as you're living your life, be careful, look carefully what you're doing, and live in a way that's not unwise, but as wise. The instruction there is, as you walk, be wise. Remember a few months ago, the first Sunday in January, actually, we looked at the idea of wisdom. We looked at Proverbs chapter 2, and we considered what Scripture said about wisdom. We saw that in Scripture, wisdom is living your life in a way that's consistent with God's teachings. Wisdom is, is taking God's teachings and applying them in a variety of contexts. As we looked at wisdom literature, we saw that, that wisdom literature is, is aware that oftentimes a life follows a very familiar pattern. 
A leads to B, B leads to C. But sometimes in life, general principles don't always follow through. Sometimes A, although it generally leads to B, sometimes it leads to C, and sometimes C leads to Q, and sometimes a Q is a dead end. There, there's all sorts of things that happen in life that make it very difficult to navigate life and, and its obstacles, and, and there's all sorts of seeming paradoxes. And sometimes when a person comes to you and they're a foolish person and they start spouting off foolish things, sometimes, Scripture says, the best thing to do is to answer a person in their folly. Sometimes, though, wisdom literature tells us, when a person starts saying crazy things to you, the best thing to do is ignore them, unless you get dragged down in this foolish conversation yourself. And so wisdom is all about taking God's word and his instructions, and as we look at the obstacles of life and all the variables of life and all the seeming paradoxes, having the ability to, to take God's word and apply it to, to our path. And so Paul says here in verse 15, as you look at your life, be careful, look carefully, look closely, scrutinize your path, and walk in such a way that's wise and not unwise. And we see here that he's beginning a section talking about relationships that's going to carry all the way through verse 9 of chapter 6. And so in regards to your relationships with other believers and other family members, walk in a way that is wise. Have the ability to look at all the seeming obstacles in your relationships with others, all the variables, and to take godly principles and apply them in such a way that you're walking in a very wise, godly fashion. That's the instruction. What's the problem? Easy to do, right? No, it's not. <laughs> There's some obstacles in our ability to be obedient to this instruction that God gives us. What are some of the obstacles? Look again at the text. He says, he says to do this, then verse 16, making the best use of the time. The first obstacle that we encounter in our ability to be wise in our relationship with other believers is this obstacle of time. Our time is finite. There were several words that Paul could have used to describe time that we would have translated time. And the word here for time isn't like the, the time with the, the hands of the clock. You know, there's some sort of endless succession of events. That's not the time he's talking about. He's talking more about the time that you'd see like time of a season, an appointed time. It's like the, the time, not the hands of a clock that just kind of endlessly make their way around and around and around. It's more like that, that, that the, the sand in an hourglass. There's a finite amount of sand and that sand is going to trickle through that, that hole in the hourglass and then there's going to be a point and it's over like as you play that that game that, that has those, those little timers and if you're playing with me I'm tapping on the sand to make it go more quickly but uh, it's, it's a finite amount of time it, it starts at a certain point and at a certain point it ends there's a limited season that we have with one another that's the first obstacle that exists here think about this every single person in this room at some point their life on this earth is going to be over, either through the return of Jesus Christ or through natural processes of death. It's a scary thing to think about, especially in regards to our children or someone we love a great deal, but our time with one another has been foreordained by God. It's set, and it's for a season. Our ability to speak spiritual truths into one another's lives is not infinite. 
at least in terms of preparing us for eternity. It's finite. The hourglass has been established by God. God has put every grain of sand in that, that relationship, and he knows exactly how many grains of sand are going to, 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 to make their way through that hole in the hourglass until it's over. And our challenge is to make the best use of that time, to wisely use that time for the glory of God. That's the first obstacle. As we think about being wise in our relationships, what's the, what's the other obstacle we see here? Continue looking at verse 16. He says, Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And not only is our time with one another limited, the environment in which these relationships exist is a bad, a wicked environment. The idea here is that the time is this limited commodity, and if you and I don't take this limited commodity of time and spend it for the glory of God, the wickedness that that permeates our culture will take that time and use it for purposes contrary to God's purposes. The days around us are evil, and left to themselves, they're not going to be investing in things that bring God glory. They're not going to be investing in things that are of eternal benefit. And so there's a great challenge to you and I as believers. Time with one another is limited, and the days in which we live are evil, and so there is a great challenge for us to walk as wise in our relationships with one another. I had a professor at seminary that that did something that I think is very interesting. His name is Dr. Thrasher, and Dr. Thrasher was someone who thought very biblically about how how to live his life, and he would take a Bible passage, and, and he would read it, and then he would, he would just meditate on it. And he'd think of, you could tell he was, he was constantly thinking about scriptural truths and, and how to implement them in his life. One of the things he said that, that probably caught my attention more than anything else was when he started talking about Psalms 90, verse 12. And Psalms 90, verse 12 says, says teach me to number my days. Give me a, a heart of wisdom. And so Dr. Thrasher said he started thinking about how to number his days. He says, how in the world do I learn how to number my days? And this is what he did. He took it very literally. He said, okay, I don't know how many days I have, but on average, he was a very young man at the time, he said, I probably have another 50 years if, if natural processes go the way that natural processes go. That's my average life expectancy. Not presuming upon God that I will have that many, many years, not, uh, not hopeful that maybe I'll have a few more, but who, who knows, okay? He took 50, and he multiplied it by 365. He said, okay, that's 18,250 days. And he took his daily planner, and on that day he wrote 18,250. Turn the page. Bottom of the page wrote 18,249. Next page, 18,248. He said it was a great reminder to him that his time was finite. Incidentally, if you know how to do that in Outlook, let me know. That would be a very useful thing for me to believe. What, what he did is he would, he, would, he said, uh, the amazing thing too, he, he did it for years. Every January he would open up his calendar and write out for the year the number of, of days that he might have left if the Lord tarried or if didn't take him home sooner. He said what was, what was amazing is when he started doing that, he had this big number, 18,000 something. He said what's amazing is every year, those, those numbers get significantly less. And after a decade, after 15 years, after 20 years, the, the numbers have decreased more and more. And it teaches him the finite nature of life. What's the application for us? As we think about our relationships with one another, I'd encourage you, first of all, to, to think of some sort of 
some sort of tool to help you keep a passage like Psalms 90 verse 12 tip your, tip your brain. How can God teach us to number our days, to let us know that our, our time with one another is finite? It's not, it's not uh, or at least our, our time on earth with one another, to invest in relationships here in preparation for eternity is finite. So that's the problem. How do we invest with one another in this finite amount of time, in, in days that are evil? What's the solution? Look at verses 17 through 21. Paul says this, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me give you what I think is the, the central point of the text here, and then kind of develop the solution together, and then we're going to talk about some applications. You see there if you're, you're taking notes, but we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, here's what I believe that the central point of this text is. The wise believer, the wise believer, the believer that, that's looking at, at life's terrain, seeing that time is limited, seeing that the days are evil, the person who's going to be able to navigate that course, of, in, especially in regards to the relationships, the wise believer invests in spirit filled relationships. The wise believer invests in spirit-filled relationships. Let's kind of explore this, this solution as we look at the God's word again here. In verse 17, Paul says, therefore, in light of the fact that our time with one another is limited, in light of the fact that the days are evil, therefore, don't be foolish, but instead, understand what the will of the Lord is. I want to talk a little bit about what the will of the Lord is. It's Paul's instruction, don't be foolish. Instead, understand what God's will is, the Lord's will is. This is a huge issue for many Christians for several reasons. First of all, some Christians don't even, aren't even aware of the fact that God may have some sort of will for their life. They think, okay, I've got the Bible, need to read that, but I've kind of got my life to live the way that I want to. But this is know what the will of the Lord is. Other believers, and, and, and if this is you, I mean this in a very loving way. Um, have you noticed that I preface that when I say something that could be very unloving? Um, but I do mean this in a loving way. Some believers are like, uh, like a Christian version of fortune tellers when it comes to the Lord's will. And they come up with some really, um, loving way, uh, wacky, bizarre, strange ways of ascertaining what the Lord's will is. And so, for example... Maybe talking to a, a young lady, and, and she's, she's telling me about her relationship with her boyfriend. She says, you know, I just couldn't, I just didn't know if, if God wanted me to get back together with this guy. And then I was, I was driving in my car, and on the radio came this uh, Taylor Swift song, You Belong to Me. And I, I was thinking about God, and I was thinking about my boyfriend, and that was God telling me he wants me to be back together with my boyfriend. I said, Really? And she said, yes. She would say, this, you know, this is an example. She said, well, is, is your boyfriend, uh, is, is he a believer? She says, well, you know, he would say he is. So well, is he, is he involved in, in church? No. Does he have a desire to be involved in church? She says, no, but I know that if the Lord allows us to get together again, he's going to use me to do that. And you know what? 
that may happen, that may not happen. But I said, I, I, would, I would tell that person, the wiser course of action is to go to God's word and see what God's word says that informs that situation. And so, uh, very often, people use circumstances around them, and they, they're like these tea leaf readers that they try to ascertain what the will of the Lord is based upon their circumstances. God, uh, I don't know whether or not you want me to take this job, so if you don't want me to take this job, don't let them offer it to me. But if they offer it to me, I'll just take that as you saying you want me to do this. Really? I mean, what, 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 what does God's word say about this type of job you'll be doing? What's your ability going to be to, to spiritually shepherd your family if you take this job? There are a host of other factors beyond our circumstances that should inform our decisions. And here, Paul says, know what the will of the Lord is. He's not saying look at your circumstances here and, and just kind of make your best guess. But don't be foolish. Don't make bad decisions in your relationships with other believers other family members, but understand what the Lord of the will is and what is the will of the Lord. He goes on. Verse 18, he says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but, and this is the key, be filled with the Spirit. He presents, as he's done several times in this text, a, a negative and positive contrast. Don't, this is not the will of the Lord, that you get drunk with wine, be controlled with alcoholic beverages. Instead, be filled, consumed, directed, controlled by the Holy Spirit. Now, follow the text closely here. The point of the text is not to give a theology on alcoholic beverages. You know, Paul's not trying to develop here a, a, a theology of wine drinking. He's trying to talk about the contrast of the life of a person who's controlled by wine versus the life of the person who'd be, be be controlled by the Spirit, what he's really trying to do is, is talk about what it looks like to be controlled by the Spirit. But because this is such a huge issue in our culture, let me just take a little bit of a rabbit trail and say a couple things about the believer and, and wine, because I think this is something so many people struggle with, understanding what Scripture says here. A couple principles that I would encourage you with. First of all, uh, Scripture is often positive as it describes wine or other alcoholic drinks. Uh, Scripture tells us that, that wine was used in worship. Paul encourages Timothy to use wine medicinally. And we see that, that wine is, is even used, celebrated in Scripture. Psalm 104, verse 15, wine is mentioned among the things that God has given to, to man. It says that God gave wine to, to gladden the heart of man. And so, first of all, we have to understand biblically that, sometime, or that Scripture sometimes speaks positively about wine. A second thing that we need to understand about wine is that often Scripture warns us against the dangers of wine, and it never, Scripture neg never speaks positively of drunkenness. It always is warning us against drunkenness. And if you want to look at a text that is an example of that, I encourage you to look at Proverbs 23, verses 29 through 31. It's a, a great text that talks about people who seek out beverages that have been enhanced to make them more alcoholic and just this this danger of, of of drinking mixed drinks it talks about here this this idea of, of pursuing uh, alcoholic beverages with the desire to become drunk okay so that's another principle from scripture another principle from scripture that i think is important for the believer to consider as they think about their relationship to wine or other alcoholic beverages is this uh, scripture never reproaches those who decide, you know what, for the glory of God, I'm just going to abstain from drinking. And so it's a, a perfectly legitimate position in Scripture for a person to say, you know what, 
I'm just, I'm going to abstain from, from drinking alcoholic beverages. We see that in the life of uh, Samuel. We see that in the life of, of John the Baptist. We see that among those who would take a vow of the Nazarites and, and some other examples that we could go into if, if time allowed. And so what I would encourage a person is if they're struggling with this issue, uh, first of all, I would encourage them to abstain from alcohol if, the following are true, if drinking alcohol would violate your conscience, you'd feel like you're doing something wrong, don't do it. <laughs> There's nothing in Scripture that says you, you need to be involved in that activity, and so if it's going to violate your conscience, abstain from that. Also abstain from, from drinking alcoholic beverages if, if there's any sort of temptation that you have toward drunkenness. We know that that's a violation of the will of the Lord, and so, so abstain from that activity. It's, it's, it's not worth the, the temptation that it, may, it would be to you. Also, if you're around other believers who would struggle with that temptation, and, and by you engaging in that activity, it would, it would cause them to engage in that activity as well, abstain from it. That's very clear in Scripture's teaching as well. And now, again, uh, let me get back to the text here, because I don't think that's the point of the text, although those things are, are true. The point of the text is to say, look, we, God does not desire you to become drunk with wine. He doesn't desire you to be controlled by the effects of alcohol. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit to indwell you in such a way, to, to live within you in such a way, that He is controlling your actions. Now, when he says filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not talking about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. We see that that's, in fact, if you want a, a verse that kind of addresses that, write down um, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That tells us that all believers have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. He's also not talking about simply being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. It's not as if sometimes the Holy Spirit lives in you, you do something bad, the Holy Spirit leaves, then he's back, then he leaves, then he's back, then he's back, then he leaves. Uh, no, that the Holy Spirit indwells the believers. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 tells us that. He's also not talking about being sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've already saw, seen in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, that all believers are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So all those are one-time events that are true in the life of every believer. What he's talking about is also not talking about uh, filled as some sort of, um, uh, just simply some sort of emotional uh, upheaval that takes place in the life of a person. Now, sometimes being filled with the Holy Spirit can have emotional consequences, but not, he's not simply talking about some emotion-driven state that a person finds himself in. I'm just, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. How do you know? I'm, I'm so happy, okay? That's not how Scripture describes being filled with the Spirit, although it's certainly one of the, the possible manifestations of being filled with the Holy Spirit. What he is saying is this, a person who's filled with the Holy Spirit, just as alcohol controls the life of a drunkard, the person who's filled with the Holy Spirit is directed and controlled by God. We see several times in Ephesians talking about being filled with God. It talks in 319 about being filled with the fullness of God, having the attributes and characteristics of God. He talks about in 410 being filled with Christ, and here we're filled with the Holy Spirit. And so a person here is emptied of themselves and filled with God, being obedient to his directions. Now, let's apply this in our relationships to with, with, with one another, okay? In your notes there, you may see that I've written down a, a spirit-filled friend, okay? How do we walk wisely in our relationships with one another? Or how can we be a, a spirit-filled friend? We don't want to be controlled by alcohol. We don't want to be controlled by, by other means. We want to be controlled by the Holy Spirit as we deal with one another wisely. We want to be, simply put, a spirit-filled friend. Let's look at some characteristics of a spirit-filled friend from the text. 
First of all, a spirit-filled friend joyfully communicates spiritual truths. He says this in verse 18, or verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. A person who's a spirit-filled friend being directed by the Holy Spirit is going to be engaged in joyfully communicating spiritual truths to one another. And the example that Paul gives here in Ephesians chapter 5 is in the, in the setting of a corporate worship service. A person who is spirit-filled is constantly thinking about how to apply spiritual truths in the lives of their friend, friends and the people who are around them. A lot of the shortness of our time, our, our goal as we're in, engaged in worship is to edify other people. He says psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, and these words were sometimes used interchangeably, but perhaps there's some distinction here. Psalms could have referred to the Old Testament canonical writings that people engaged in worship of, with. Uh, hymns could have referred to established songs. We, we see in 1 Timothy 3.16, a, a hymn that may have been sung by the church, a common creeds and confessions. And then spiritual so songs could have referred to simply just you know, extemporaneous uh, displays of, 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 of reveling in the glory of God. And, and the, the point that Paul is making here, I think, is there are a variety of ways that we can engage in worship of God and joyfully communicate spiritual truths to one another. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, all those are possible means we can use to glorify God and spiritually and communicate spiritual truths to others. Now, let me just give you a couple applications from this truth that you and I should be joyfully communicating spiritual truths to one another. Uh, first of all, we need to make sure that the songs that we're engaged in worshiping with are, are biblical songs, right? We want to make sure that they're communicating true spiritual truths because our obligation to one another is to be communicating spiritual truths. And if we're communicating things that aren't true, then we're failing in this task that God has given us. I'd also encourage another application here is to be creative in thinking about how to communicate biblical truths to one another. And just as an application for you today, I, I, I encourage you to think through some way this next week that you're going to communicate spiritual truths in the life of another believer in our church. He says psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, just as, however you can. A third application here that we see, I think, from these verses, and, and this is kind of funny, I think. The purpose... The purpose of worship in a church is not for others to minister to us, but for us to minister to others. And as we think about how to be wise in our relationships with one another, we th one of the ways that Paul's encouraging us to think is as we come in through these doors and sit down in these nice, comfortable chairs and stand up and sing, our goal isn't, how is this worship affecting me? Part of our goal should be thinking, how is it affecting my brothers and sisters in Christ. So a spirit-filled friend joyfully communicates spiritual truths. Uh, secondly, a spirit-filled friend focuses upon the glory of God through worship. I believe this is also a very important point. Some people have this wrong understanding of the relationship with the Spirit. Some people believe this. Some people believe that there are certain types of songs that can cause the Holy Spirit to, to fill us or to influence us or to cause us to, to get right with God. Now, Scripture speaks of it in a different way. Proper worship doesn't cause us to become Spirit-filled. Proper worship is an outgrowth of being Spirit-filled. Some people 
describe their, the worship services. Well, it's spirit-filled worship. Well, okay. <laughs> it's spirit-filled worship if you come in understanding God, understanding what his will is, and engage in worship of him. And a spirit-filled friend, a person who is rightly navigating those, those terrains, is focusing upon the glory of God through their worship, causing other people to be able to do so as well. Third characteristic here of a spirit-filled friend. The spirit-filled friend thanks God in all circumstances. He says here, give, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so a person who is rightly navigating that, those tricky obstacles of relating to other believers is a person whose focus is on communicating spiritual truths to others, focusing upon the worship of God, and as they go about their life and they see various circumstances and various obstacles in their life, they're not complaining, they're not grumbling against God, they're not becoming downhearted, but they're focused upon God's glory and they're expressing thankfulness to God about the places that he's put them. And as they do so, they gain an amazing ability to maintain their focus on the, what's beneficial to those around them. A person who's constantly complaining, a person who's constantly worried about life, a person who's constantly uh, feeling like theirs is the most difficult uh, existence that's ever been created upon the face of the earth, is a person who's very inwardly focused. And a person who's focused upon the needs of others, and is a spirit-filled friend, we're going to talk about this again as we continue our study throughout Ephesians, is a person who's constantly thanking God, and as they thank God and rejoice in God, they're constantly able to minister to those around them. Finally, a spirit-filled friend, a spirit-filled friend is someone who's going to put others first. This is crucial as we continue our study in Ephesians. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And a person who's being controlled by the Spirit, a person who's being controlled by the Holy Spirit in their lives, is a person who is constantly, voluntarily placing themselves underneath other people. Not because other people are always the greatest people in the world, not because the other people are just so much better than them, because they have a reverence for Christ. Their reverence for Christ comes from a heart that's filled and controlled by the Holy Spirit, and they have a desire to minister to those around them. As we talk about husbands and wives relating to one another, as we talk about parents and their children, as we talk about children relating to mom and dad, as we talk about Christians relating to one another in the church, this is going to be a crucial, crucial principle for God to get through to our hearts. That we must be constantly putting others before ourselves, submitting our own interests underneath the interests of others. Think about a, a car you see in the, in the road. If that car is the Bennett mobile, the way that that car moves about the road is often dependent upon the person who is driving it. The way that you see our minivan travel down the road will be one way if I'm the person driving it. It will be another way if my much more gentle and godly wife is the person who's driving this, this minivan. The way that she navigates the obstacles along the road is going to be different than the way that I go through the obstacles in the road. Each of us is like a van, right? Who's going to be the person that controls and drives that van in our relationships with others? Is it going to be ourselves? Or are we going to put ourselves to death 
and ask God through the work of the Holy Spirit that he would come in and he would drive us in our relationships with, with one another. That God would cause us to wisely invest this precious resource of time that we have with one another. A resource that is finite. It seems like it's constantly slipping through our fingers like sand. May God help us redeem our time with one another through the work of the Spirit. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your Spirit that allows us to redeem our time, that causes us to love one another. Father, I pray for our church as we embark on this, this next section of Scripture. And I know that so many families are hurting, Lord. I know that so many families are struggling with how to relate to one another. Uh, husbands and wives are, are, are struggling with, with how to love one another. Children are struggling with honoring their parents. Parents are struggling with how to, how to nurture their children. And, and so, Father, we need your grace. This is a, a task that's impossible on our own. We need your spirit to fill us, to help us to be wise. Give us your grace in the coming weeks and give us a passion for you and your glory. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.